Phoenix Down Radio is on the air. Welcome, everybody, to Phoenix Down Radio, episode number 130. I am your host, Klaus Nightbringer, and joining me today, we have Tal is Marvelous, and we have Sarah Timono. What's going on, guys? And what the fuck was that, Tal is? <laughs> Deal with it. That's what it was. I got tacos. I have beer. I have fried cheese coming. It doesn't Ooh. look. This doesn't look like beer, but uh, it's a very tasty uh, peach cream ale from the local brewery. So nice. Also, I wonder if you could do like a fried cheese taco. Absolutely, you can. It's you, awesome. You can do anything with tacos. Come on. But can you do anything with fried cheese? Have we found like the universal building block, much like Zodium? Will we have fried cheese tacos as the basis of our next relic weapon? No. Damn. N- nice thought, but no. Um, thank you everybody who's joining us here live at twitch.tv slash phoenixdownradio. And if you're listening on the podcast, uh, come join us sometime. We do this live every other Saturday night at uh, 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, generally. We got a little, little bit of a late start tonight, but uh, eh. If you're, you you wouldn't know if you were listening on the podcast. So, <laughs> um, Also, you'll get to see us uh, interact live. We have cameras, and uh, it's kind of interesting. So still getting used to that That's whole dynamic with, with these two doing things and stuff so um i do want to start off the show on a little bit more of a somber note um for those like i said if you're joining us live or listening to this right away when this comes out um you guys are aware that uh on friday night um supreme uh court justice uh, ruth bader ginsburg uh passed away after fighting with cancer and she was 87 years old yeah, she was a titan of the law, a really great force for gender equality. Uh, we will not see her like for a while. No, she was something of a and, rock star. I mean, people were calling her yeah. the notorious RBG. I was one of those people. <laughs> she was pretty awesome, and may her memory be a blessing. Indeed. So I just wanted to, to make sure to I mention that. I wish she could have retired sooner. Like, she kept in the job until the end uh, for all sorts of politics reasons, but... I feel like that was so much to ask for. And after uh, her long career, I wish she could have had a little more time for herself. Yeah. But uh, like I said, this isn't a political podcast, but still yeah. wanted to make sure to mention something like that. Um, Cause it does impact us all. Yeah. And I mean, like we are a very queer and queer supporting of uh, podcast. So like, she's kind of a hero for us. All right. So what have you guys been up to since the last episode? Uh, I, uh, in-game, we're out. Whatever. So, in-game, I have a tank now. I was a little bit slow, but now I have a dwarven tank, and it is adorable (laughs) and amazing, and I went around and blasted things with the cannon for, like, an hour. Isn't that fun? It is! And we just go... (sighs) Oh, man, blast the vegetable garden with it, because, like, certain things, uh, I think NPCs will explode with various colored things if they get hit with the beam. And gardens, uh, the vegetable gardens are made up with like eight or nine of those points. So it becomes a little fireworks spectacular. It's great. Interesting. I'll have to try that. I actually, I've been shooting random things, but just not into random people. Yeah. Hmm. NPCs uh, are the only one that seems to have an effect on, but the garden plot is made up of like eight of those little targetable points. So yeah, the whole thing goes off. It's really cool to watch. Okay. What else have you been up to? Uh... Mostly a lot of library programs. Uh, we've just started a virtual homework club, which 
Uh, I am apparently now the lead tech person on, and it's actually going really well. We've got, yeah, like I love my fellow librarians, but a lot of them do not pick up tech things as quickly. So I got to be the lead person for a bunch of that. We have Fair. a lot of students who are that we now see pretty much every day. Uh, they're developing like good friendships and relationships with the homework coaches, and it's really nice and sweet to see. It's like a tiny little dose of normalcy in the middle of all this weirdness. Oh, speaking of which, the wind has been blowing in the right way for the flat. So the last several days, the skies have been clear. It's nice. We haven't had those weird apocalyptic orange skies. We've been seeing some of that in the morning, but I think it's from just all everything blowing towards us now. Yeah, and I have no idea how that is up your way, Tal. Is it like is Washington still getting the brunt of that? Um, it's pretty bad still. Uh, the big thing that we've been dealing with is that it's raining. So the rain is kind of knocking some of the smoke down or making it heavier, but it's also not really helping because now when the wind does come, it's just not powerful enough to push mm. it away because the air is just so dense. So then when the rain clears up, it's still smoky. So mm. it's kind of a weird catch of like, well, it's getting better, but it's not getting better in the right way or fast enough for it to actually do anything. Gotcha. <sighs> so what, what, what else have you been up to, though, Talas? Um, so for the first time in like, I think all year, I own the same cars during this show as I did during the last show. <laughs> and you're living in the same place, so you're not currently at the same location. Podcasting. I was going to say, I'm still living in the same zip code city country, but I'm not there right now. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, did it again. Um, I actually, I started the new job doing pizza, and of course, I've discovered that I ended up knowing everybody from the past, and we had all just like just drifted apart. So now there's all of us old folks that have been with the company for 15 <laughs> years, left and came back. Uh, so we all know each other. So we kind of have this weird little alliance of old guys. Um, one guy, uh, his name is Gandhi. He's a pirate larper from the area. He's now one of my best buds, which is cool. I apparently interviewed him and offered him a job at a restaurant that I ran. Hmm. And I told him that if he had any other job offers, that he should take the other one, no matter what it was. <laughs> okay. And now he's my shift leader. <laughs> nice. So that was awkward. Uh, he and I also got bored during closing and discussed making curry into a pizza. Ooh. So I couldn't figure out what kind of curry I wanted to buy. So I bought seven different kinds and I showed up to work with them when we tried to make curry pizza. Uh, pro tip, it's crap. Uh, but hmm. we I tried. feel like there might be a way to make curry pizza work. So did we. Seven sauces later, no. But we tried. And honestly, trying, failing, and losing by a mile and doing it ourselves is way better what if, than winning by an inch and having someone else do it for us. What so. if, instead of using the curry as the sauce, you just use it as a drizzle? We tried that. You did. Okay. I can, yeah, I can made, see the curry sauce being a little overpowering on an entire pizza, but if you just to put it as, as like an accent um, on top. So overpowering is the opposite of what happened. Oh, it was underwhelming. It was underwhelming would have been an upgrade. That's a pity. It was Odd. trash. It just t texture was bad. Flavor was bad. We tried vegan cheese. We tried both kinds of chicken. Anyway, we did a lot of stuff. We made a mess. <laughs> it cost the company a couple hundred dollars, but it was gross. But we had fun. Uh, so I got to do some food experimentation, which was rad. That's I'm actually good. at Pyrocats' house right now because we're playing with Harumaki because <laughs> we didn't get a chance to do this later. This research should have happened forever ago. 
so expect a Stormblood inspired prep station someday that may or may not involve fried cheese. Deep fried food always nice. good. Oh. Oh. I just remembered I have one other thing that I can show you really quickly of what's been going on lately. Absolutely. Please do. And is it of the fluffy sure. variety? And I can actually. It is. <laughs> God. I think I can do that. Yes. So we'll go ahead and I'll just zoom in on it a bit. But we are fostering kittens. And it should be coming through. Oh, I said it. Uh, I told Discord to start uh, putting the, piping this image through, but perhaps it is not doing. Are that. you putting it in Discord? Oh, I'm putting see. it in Twitch chat. Uh, it's not going to allow you to change your video source. I think since I'm the leader. Got it. I think. Okay. Uh, I'm not I will sure. go ahead and actually just post a bunch of pictures on the Discord on That's our Phoenix Down Radio Discord. But we have been fostering two adorable kittens. Uh, one of whom's la back legs don't work, which makes her extra adorable. Her name is Pretzel. I don't think this has anything to do with the state of her back legs, but I'm not 100% sure. I mean, if she's sitting all kind of discombobulated, maybe. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. They've actually been getting a little better the past few days, so it might have just been like an injury or some type of temporary thing, but she still mostly pulls herself with her front legs. It is so cute and sweet. And uh, we're going to be bringing them back, I want to say, in about three days from now, and then we're going to have a little break, and then we're going to be fostering more kittens. So I should have a steady stream of kitten pictures for you all to enjoy. <laughs> you, 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 better. Like you better. The best thing that's going to happen in 2020 in your life is just, I now Kittens. have a steady stream of cute cat pictures. Yes. Yes. Like, I grew up with cats. Like, 19 years, we had, like, three cats. But I never had kittens. Kittens They're are so the weird. best. They're so weird. Like, in an adorable way. They are amazing. Hmm. I grew up on so a farm, and we had barn cats. So our, the cats mm -hmm. would live in the barn, um, and they'd, they'd just be around. But they they weren't wild cats; they were domestic. But uh, they would they don't uh, probably every couple of years we'd end up having an, uh, one of the the mamas would have a new litter, and we would have you know three or four kittens every couple of years. So just playing like, with the kittens that doesn't is seem like the type of thing that'll come up and cuddle with you. You you make them come up, but uh, yeah, we would always go out there and we would play with the kittens when they got old enough. When their eyes were open okay. and they were moving around and uh yeah then it was just so much fun playing with kittens as a kid yeah i grew up in a city we had a volvo and a honda goldwing with no My kittens. house doesn't do animals unless they ended up on plates we just didn't do pets did you ever have a Tamag tamagotchi that's like a pet for people in cities it didn't even make it home from the store before i misplaced it and lost it that doesn't surprise me I just don't wow. take I just don't do responsibility like you mean. at all. Like the metaphor there is dead on in a way that's a little impressive and frightening. <laughs> yeah, I just don't do pets. Uh. I like other people's pets, they're fine. I'll show up at their houses and apartments and feed them. At one point I had five cats that I was in charge of. Oh, don't yeah. hold my own. Don't need to. Everybody oh, yeah. else has them. I'm Fair. that way with babies. Like Children's story time is great, but do not give me a kid of my own. That's not going to end well. Well, my uh, last couple weeks have been kind of interesting. Give me a second here. Come on, wake up. Why does my desk not want to wake up? Oh. Did you make your desk sentient? Is it a Zodiac yes. weapon now? Yes, my desk is a Zodiac weapon. Oh, you, it's the augmented desk of Ultimate Gaming. 
Why do we keep imbuing these things with sentience? It seems so inadvisable. And yet, you collect minions. We haven't imbued those with sentience. Klaus is drinking. <laughs> no, my desk is rising. Nah, you were going downwards. <laughs> that means you're shrinking. Frames of but, reference don't change. Actually, the frame reference did change in the back. If you see, everything <laughs> looks a little different. Oh my god, your house is sinking! <laughs> Shut up. No, hey, we, bud. Uh, after the so last, after the last podcast, I had friends come over, Nicknar and Daltrea. We built my desk. Nice. And then we, we I, I, I tore everything apart after I got everything set up on, you know, put up for the uh, fifth anniversary podcast. Um, we built the desk. We reorganized. I took a week, no streaming. Just took a break off of it. I was also on call, so I was part of it. But um, got that set up, and now I have a fully redone. Um, streaming station behind me. So that con go ahead. That converts between the sitting and standing desk. Yes, it does. I hit another button. Nice. And merch hand plug. down to Klaus's crotch. <laughs> no, I'm just doing a merch plug. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I just hit a button and uh, the desk adjusts height from uh, standing to sitting. It's really nice. So it's powered, so you don't have to like wind it or anything. Exactly. And it's got memory, Sweet. so I just hit a button and, and, it, and it goes to the height that I set it to. Okay, Pyrocats, I think you might need one of these desks. <laughs> it was a lot of work, but it was I think it was worth it for me. It's if you if you follow me out on Twitch or Twitter, you will have seen it there. I did post pictures of it out there. Um, I'll probably should put some in the Discord as well. Um, but if you see behind me, I actually put up more lights. So now pretty decorations. Yeah, you've got a really colorful setup going there. It's awesome. It's it, I mean I'm enjoying it. I mean it's nice because they're all controlled by my uh, my um, Skynet here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been a, a good time. And um, oh, I just noticed. Yeah, they're changing colors there. They do. That one's like very deep. Ooh. Yep. They all they all change colors. Uh, different uh, colors through the rainbow. It's the color setup is based off of our logo actually. So. I'm just going to be entranced by that for the next 10 minutes. Discuss whatever. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into game and community news. <laughs> Huzzah! <laughs> um, so Final Fantasy XIV news. Um, uh, the last two Tales from the Shadows stories are out. Um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't read either one of these yet. I, I will be, though. <laughs> I didn't either. I absolutely will be. I love these stories. Um, but I just want to make sure that everybody else has a chance to go out and... Uh, yeah. Take a look at them. Uh, so the last two, uh, the first one, Air Our Curtain Falls, takes a look back at the past, at uh, some of the stuff that we've explored in the 5.3 patch, uh, with uh, our new understanding of Elidibus, filling out some more of those details, adding in some details about uh, the uh, 14th member of the Convocation, the Defector, that have become very meme-worthy in and of themselves. It seems like they were as much of an epic-tier shit poster, choosing the goofiest <laughs> uh, dialogue option possible as we are the selves the Warrior of Light now are. Yes. So I guess something's never changed. And then uh, story eight is on, on Promise Tomorrow. And that's dealing with uh, the time, the bad timeline, the one where the eighth Umbral Calamity went off. Uh, Exploring a little more of what happened in there, including uh, what happened after the Crystal Tower departed for, uh, for the Ethereal Rift and the First. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they've got some 
given that the Crystal Tower is no longer in that location, it seems unlikely that they would be able to bridge the gap. So that may be a timeline that's just forever out of reach for us now. But there's some stuff to suggest that it's going to be going in an interesting direction. Wibbly I'm sure wobbly. people will start writing lots of fanfic exploring it. Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Got it. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe um, that'll be what they do in 9.0. Oh, God. That's going to happen someday. Possibly. Maybe. Well, they, they've got a 6.0 planned out, but and I don't know about anything beyond that. Yeah. I mean, part of that is going to depend on just how much Yoshi P on has on his plate. Well, speaking of which, he does have more on his plate. Um, See, I think Segway's good. Thank you. <laughs> Final Fantasy like, oh, okay. 16 has been announced. Uh, during yeah, that Project Athia thing they've been floating turns out that was the new app mainline FF. Was it? Yeah. I thought that was something different. I'm pretty sure it was. Like, that was the one that Yoshi no, P was working on? No, Project Athia had a, a female protagonist. I was pretty sure. I thought it was a separate game. Oh, am I? I don't know anymore. Oh, no. Okay, that is something. Yeah, games maybe. to play. I think we'll be all right. Yeah, unless they're like fucking with our expectations of what's going on, and something's more comp. Anyways, anyway, I have posted a link to the trailer in the uh, the Twitch chat. You, it will also be in the show notes for those of you listening on the podcast. And it's <laughs> a return to the uh, full fantasy realm for Final Fantasy. I so did notice we like. There's still a little bit of the you know, steampunk and brass and whatnot, but we don't have the like. In a futuristic world where you have been imbued by a magical science thing and your children turn to an ice sculpture while you escape on a train. Yeah, we're not that. We don't have that shit anymore. It's like, no, no, there's a sword, there's plate mail, there's chain mail, there's, there's an archer dude, there's a dragoon that's on the floor dead. Like, we're okay. We get it now. <laughs> yeah. There's a thing that's like a medieval castle courtyard. Yep. Exactly. Um, so much better. Yeah, this is <laughs> Yoshida is the uh, producer. Um, but Hiroshi Takai will be the director, so we do not have to have producer-director Yoshi P for Final Fantasy 16. Hiroshi Takai, the main thing I recognize that name from is The Last Remnant. He also did work on Eleven. I believe. So yeah, he did do some work on uh, 14 as well, mm -hmm. uh, Romancing Saga, uh, did visual effects, battle graphics, and a bunch of other things throughout. Oh man, he's been going. Yep, he's, damn, all the way back to 1988 in some cases. Yep, he's been around. Some of the stuff that I saw him do, like especially Last Remnant, was the one that I was going to bring up. Was Last Remnant is a very good example of we had a bunch of stuff in the maybe pile. We put it all together into game to see what would happen, what worked, and what didn't. And there's a lot of stuff that didn't work in that game. And there's a lot of stuff that was a really cool concept that needed to be honed a little bit better. Overall, the game was kind of crap, but it was fun as hell, and I played through it twice. <laughs> it was, you know, I'm willing, and Square Enix said, I've said it a hundred times if I've said it once. Square Enix has made a couple of missteps, Type 0, 8, a few other things. But I'm more than willing to support them trying something new and weird and different, because that's what's gotten them to survive, for starters, and just make some of the really cool stuff that we have ended up with. Yeah, I was talking with a friend about this, like the whole thing of the two major series in Japan being like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. And he, my friend's a Dragon Quest fanatic, but for me, it's like, 
they feel too much the same. Like, Final Fantasy feels a lot more willing to experiment with everything, like battle systems, interface, storytelling. Mm -hmm. it, it's a multiverse like, oh. uh, type of situation where, you know, while we do have occasional um, actual sequels to games, most of the actual games themselves are reimaginings of the system for the right. most part it's and like people say seven look how cool seven was i'm like you you are aware that Mag that magicite and materia are very very similar in how mm -hmm. they function and work and everybody's like oh i guess that's true and then nine comes out you learn abilities from weapons and i'm like okay you do see that we're Still looking at Magicite. Like, it's just being evolved. Like, we changed it a little bit. Yeah, 10 was a, a, a big change when they went to the Sphere Grid. Yeah, the Sphere Grid was different, but having defined roles again, like we did with 9, like we did with 4, it's mm -hmm. like, they're willing to take the thing and change it all completely. They think outside of the box while still somehow managing to touch the box. Yeah, it's like, there's a couple amount of we're taking this this same idea, like this basic idea of like the magicite, and we're gonna riff on it in a lot of ways that end up feeling different and unique. Even if like functionally they end up working the same, they give a different feel to them, and your brain approaches them in a different way. There's certain things when you play like Shin Megami Tensei and Persona, like you eventually know what everything means. So I go, oh, Zio means it's the lightning magic, it's the electric magic. Well, I now understand what all of the you know pre and post pieces of that word mean for making it an aoe versus making it a powerful one like i can understand that when i when i leave persona and go to shin megami tensei the spells are still the same when i leave fantasy star and play fantasy star online 2 25 years later going from sega master system to current pc generation the spells are still the same the items are still the same everything still works the same having those things that we can lean back onto and understand is it's the definition of genre, right? Yep. There's a reason why the bad cowboy wears the black hat and the good cowboy wears the white hat. Like it's just stuff works. Leave that yep. alone, but change what you can so that you do get a unique experience every time. Yep. That, that's, that's definitely a good way to put it. Um, though I will say with 16, when they showed some of the in-game uh, combats and things like that. It did seem very similar to Final Fantasy 7 Remake, Final Fantasy 15, the uh, whole action RPG, um, you know, going away that from... That said, it was... It was one trailer, and, like, they're yeah. notorious for having a thing that suggests... Compare, like, the very first Final Fantasy 15 trailers to what we eventually got. Oh, you, God, I canceled versus? my 15 pre-order after watching a trailer. <laughs> like, dead. You know, sometimes it changes dramatically for good or for worse, but we have to be willing to understand that, you know, it could be 10 years before we see this game. Yep. Though, well, I, I doubt it, but we won't know more until 2021. That's when the next bit of news is going to come. Uh, and this is going to be a PlayStation 5 uh, console exclusive um, for about a year. So it's going to, when, when it launches, it's going to launch exclusively for PS5. Um, PC maybe six months later, and then it, if they want to, they can put it on the other consoles after about a year. But I wanna, I'm curious what their sales looked like for uh, 15, putting it on Xbox. 
Well, when they went to Xbox and PC, I do believe it actually did go up quite a bit. And I believe it was part of Game Pass for Xbox. Oh, yeah, that would definitely change how your sales worked for it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's a uh, I I'm excited for 16. Um, just getting news about a brand new Final Fantasy. Um, and yeah. I, I will continue to scour, you know, for additional news moving forward on this because, you know, it's always the nice to have a new uh, game to talk about. The few bits of story and plot elements that they teased are intriguing. There's yes. some stuff that's like reminiscent of some elements of 14, and there's wondering about how much of that is Yoshi P's hand in this. Yep. Uh, reference to Mother Crystals, some of the various like icons, though it seems like it's a bit of a different take on yep. them. Maybe next episode we can dig deeper into the trailer yeah. and uh, kind of discuss what we what we think is maybe going on with it, because there's some really oh, interesting man. things going frame on. Frame by frame! Yes. It's going to take all episode. Just and then some. Just kidding. Um, That'd be terrible. But speaking of PlayStation 5... Did you guys get a chance to do a pre-order? Nope. Not yet. I will say that was an absolute clusterfuck on Sony's part. That's what I heard. They were going to open up pre-orders on Thursday. Retailers are saying nope. And they opened up pre-orders uh, shortly after the, uh, um, the whole event happened. And uh, yeah, they've sold out in like no time. Yeah. I did see something talking about like the manufacturing process. They ended up having some issues with where the supply is going to be lower just because it's something related to semiconductor stuff and how many good chips you get for a production thing ended up being a lower yield than they expected. Yeah, though Sony so, came back and we'll said that they don't think it's going to be as bad as people are projecting. Uh, they said there are going to be more pre-orders coming out soon, so if you did not get in on the first round, do keep looking. Um... Five hundred dollars for I'm the. Also okay, just not having one at launch. Yeah, it's five hundred dollars for the one with the disc drive, and four hundred dollars for the all digital version. So Talis, oh. you know, you will save a hundred dollars if you want to go that route, because I know yep. you don't like to buy physical things. But the doctrine I've... of first sale. I don't know what that is, and I don't care. I don't want a physical disc. It doesn't make any sense. The one thing that I like uh, about. Go ahead, Sarah. Uh, it's the thing that says that when you buy the thing, you actually own the disc and you can decide what you do with it, like giving it to a friend or uh, things like that, as opposed to you have bought a license to this game. And at some point we may revoke the license and you no longer have access to the game. Like on an MMO. Okay. I mean, we could physically well, sell the discs that we have for Final Fantasy 14, but uh, once the sh server is shut down, you can't play it anymore. Yep. Like, it's a, do you actually own the game, or are you just purchasing a re effectively a rental for it? As There's somebody that rents everything he owns, I don't see a difference or a change. <laughs> There's intellectual property concerns about it, about who gets control over it, and whether And we can talk about that on another podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those librarian things I will go on about for hours if you let me, so we should probably keep moving. Yep, I yes, was just gonna please. say, I did get lucky, and I was able to, to uh, procure a, uh, a, a PS5 pre-order on GameStop. Um, spending more than I necessarily wanted to, but uh, it's gonna be the chunky version with an extra controller, Another year of PS Plus, um, Spider-Man Miles Morales, and Destruction All-Stars. So that's going to be kind of neat. 
I'm actually looking forward to getting it. When Final Fantasy XIV moves over to PS5, then I might look into getting a console. There's a good chance that it will. I know. And when it does, that's when I'm probably going to look into getting the console. That's fair. All right. Uh, I see that you put in a whole bunch of information on a new card that is coming out for the uh, trading card game, Talis. I did. So, <laughs> uh, Opus 12 is coming out very, very soon. Uh, I'm not sure how we're, or why we're still releasing Opuses since we can't get together and play. But, you know, who cares? It's already printed, so here we go. They've already slowed down production for the FFTCG just because game stores, like, we can't sit three feet apart and play cards. Like, it's not really an option right now. But Opus 12 was mostly done, so they went ahead and they decided to start releasing it just because storage versus sales, etc. So they're releasing the first multicolor card. So if anybody that's a Magic player who's seen a gold-bordered card at some point, you know exactly what these are. It's things that require two colors to cast or play them. There's a few that have been announced. One is Locke from Final Fantasy VI. He wasn't quite as interesting. The one that I was super interested in is the new Fancred. He's a 7 cost 4. He has 8,000 power. He's category 14, as he should be. He's got the job sign of the 7th Dawn. He has two different automatic abilities that go off when you cast him, and he plays very similar to how Thancred in Shadowbringers actually works. When he first enters the field, you choose a forward in your break zone, a.k.a. your discard pile. If the cost is equal to or less than the amount of water forwards or water backups you control, play it onto the field. So, he shows up, he finds a dead person. If he has enough allies, he can bring that person back and have them fight with him. His second ability says when he attacks... Choose an active forward the opponent controls. If the cost is equal to or less than the number of lightning forwards or lightning backups you control, break it. So if his friends are more supportive, he can bring out more friends. If his friends are going to be on the front lines with him, he can start breaking stuff just by showing up. Both very, very Thancred-esque abilities. So I was kind of happy to see that. But here's where he gets weird. You can actually cast him with water or lightning colors. As opposed to previous cards, which were strictly stuck to one of the two or one of the six that exist. So there's a Yuna that exists in Opus 12 as well. And her special ability is she can change her element once per turn. She's oh. normally a water forward. Uh, most every Yuna card up to this point has been water. So she's sitting there as a water. Thancred enters play, gets the ability for having a water backup. Then Yuna can switch to being a lightning. Then you enter your attack step and then swing in with Thancred. And now all of a sudden Yuna is pulling double duty. Hmm. His first ability says that you have to have X number of water effects in or X number of water backups or forwards in order to bring stuff out of the break zone. It doesn't say that what you're getting out of the break zone has to be water. So you can so, pull a lightning out you bring out a lightning before you attack, or you bring out that wind thing that breaks itself every single time. Or you bring out that thing that you can't actually pay for that's in some color that you're not running, but now you don't have to pay to play it at all. So now you okay. have access to skills and abilities that you wouldn't necessarily have. Because he can fetch all these different allies for you. Because you go, I need this fire backup. I need this wind backup i need this ice backup so you can start bringing in things that you wouldn't normally have say you want to bring out genesis who's an ice forward well you could do that say you want to bring out emmet silk who is also an ice forward 
<laughs> you can do that. Hmm. So you bring in Thancred, he brings Emmett Selk with him, Yuna becomes a lightning element and plays with the dress sphere, and then Thancred shows up and breaks things with Alice, Alphano, and Louiswa backing him up, because they're all lightning element cards, and all of them have synergy with Scions of the Seventh Dawn type forwards. Oh, so wow, so Thancred really works well when he's being played with the other Scions. Scions works well. Scions went from non-existent to top-tier deck in one expansion a couple of years ago. And it's kind of interesting, like with Thancred, you've got this whole like versatility. He can pull out a lot of different things, and you don't really know what to expect when he takes the field, because he could be going for any number of different things. And when he hits the field, he brings out another thing with him, with that water effect. Well, once he's out, he doesn't get to do that anymore. That's a one-time thing. So right. when he kind of shows up, he might bring somebody with him. They might be powerful. They might be less powerful, depending on where you are in the game. But every time he attacks, that lightning effect goes off. So if I do it this time and I only have one lightning backup, it's probably not going to do anything. But next turn, I'm going to have three. And the turn after that, I'm going to have four. And the turn after that, I'm going to have seven. And now all of a sudden, I enter the attack step. I turn with Thancred. I break your biggest thing on your board. Now what? Block with nothing? You just have to break all the little stuff. Thancred comes in and breaks the big stuff, and then you push through. You only have to hit somebody seven times to win. Hmm. So, very, very cool card. Very thematic to Thancred. Works very well with all the scions that we have, all of the uh, water and lightning scions that we have. He can bring out some of the fire stuff, like I mentioned, but most of the fire scions are better suited to supporting other fire-type cards. Um, but he's very cool, and he's one of the first multicolor cards. So if you play the TCG, we finally have multicolor cards, and I will see you guys at the table when we can play again next. Yeah, it's always really fun when they can make mechanics that kind of support the flavor of the character. Yeah, it's there's some stuff that you see and you go, that doesn't make any sense, because if you haven't played the game, it doesn't make any sense. Lon from World of Final Fantasy supports monsters, one of his versions of the card. Well, duh, like an early version of Lon in the early part of the game. He cares so much about all the mirages that you're capturing. But by late game, he's just like, I just want to get through our plot element redacted, plot element redacted piece <laughs> thing that we're doing. And he doesn't really care about the mirages anymore. So the higher cost, more powerful Lons are more about being offensive on his own. But the lower cost, more common, the common version of his card, those are more supportive of all of the monsters and stuff around. So when you've got like this, uh, the multiple versions, it becomes a chance to kind of explore the character's journey. Or you summon the low cost one. He does what you need him to do. He dies in combat somehow. He's gone. Now you can play the more expensive one. So you do get to kind of bring him through his whole pathway. There's nice. also uh, Ida. You can play Ida. She's fine. She's win. She has some spells. She has some abilities. She has the cool face masky thing. And then there's a five cost forward in fire named Lease. And Lease has the special condition. You cannot play. You cannot have a Yida on the field when you have Lease. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it makes sense to us. But it doesn't make sense to somebody that hasn't played 14 mm -hmm. or hasn't played Shadow or Stormblood specifically. So there's lots of little things that they hint at. Um, there's a mist dragon 
if Rydia is on the field, Mist Dragon also gains this effect, which doesn't make any sense unless you played the first half an hour of Final Fantasy IV. Right. Um, like, like it, okay, there's some kind of relation between them, but you don't necessarily follow why this is happening. And you don't need to. Like, how many Yu-Gi-Oh! players do you know that have never seen the anime? How many Pokemon video game players never touch the TCG or never watch the show? How many people watch the show that have never touched the card game? Like, there's lots of little different pieces in, in specifically Pokemon. It's just six different franchises that all have the same name. Final Fantasy, you don't have to play World of Final Fantasy to play a WAF deck. You don't have right. to play 14 to play a Scions deck. It makes a hell of a lot more sense, and it's more enjoyable, mm-hmm. but it's still a card game. It's still stats. Yep. It's like a fun little bonus if you know it. It's a very fun bonus when you can do things like, I want to play a Dragoon-themed deck, and the three of us can sit here and go, okay, well, what does Nidhogg do? Okay, well, what does Kane do? And we can come up with these little connections, and Nidhogg and Kane work very well together, but you wouldn't think of them together unless yeah. you had played 14 and four so it gives you an idea of where you might look for cards that work well together just based on the thematic elements why do barts and lunith and the onion knight work work really well together i'm not sure hey there's this weird uniforward that can keep changing out for other uniforwards gee i wonder why they all synergize super well <laughs> if you know how job-based games work also they those things tend to work very very well with tactics characters for the same reason right Cool. Yeah, it's a fun thematic thing. It was really interesting. Uh, unfortunately, the other card that I was thinking about linking an image to, I don't have it with me, is the multicolored lock, which looks exactly like the art of the spoiler alert. One of the bosses in Heroes Gauntlet. <laughs> it's the exact same art. So I was like, oh, that's really fun too. So they know what they're doing. Nice. Very cool. So if you guys like playing uh, TCGs and you haven't looked at the Final Fantasy game, I would suggest going and uh, checking out your friendly local game store and see if they have any. And if they don't, mm-hmm. ask them to order it. They don't harass them. <laughs> I mean, ask them politely. Yes. All right. Now, we'd been taking a break from this for a little while because, well, we had Final Fantasy fourteen news and... Um, uh, podcast news to talk about, but we are going to go back into our exploration of Final Fantasy soundtracks. And I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of people who are very excited for us to go over this particular game. Who here remembers Final Fantasy VI? <laughs> oh my god, I've played through it so many times. My playmat for FFTCG is the Ukiyo-e Heroes uh, woodblock print art of the Final Fantasy VI. Oh, you were making that earlier. That was really gorgeous. Yeah, I I asked him if I could do it, and he said, sure. And I said, hey, how much do I owe you for the rights to use your image to make a thing that's for me? He goes, oh, don't worry about it. And I was like, no, please let me give you money for using the art that you are generating. And he's like, no, it's okay. And I said, okay, well, I pull it off the website. I'm trying to edit the images together. And I'm like, these look like shit. He goes, they sure do. Here's a Dropbox link for the uh, the Photoshop file. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, so I sent it off. It got printed. I deleted the email. I deleted the file. I am you know, like, I cannot keep a copy of that locally at all. I don't feel comfortable with that. Like, you can't just give me a Photoshop file, dude. But 
he let me have it and I got to take I got to show him the actual map for Final Fantasy six. Six is one of the historically one of my favorite games of all time, let alone Final Fantasy games. And I would say that it is probably number one on a lot of people's lists. Um, yeah. it, it's really well done um, for being a game that came out in 1995. 96? 94, yeah. 95 depends on when it was released in what country. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. it stands up so well, and you know we get so many little things that uh, that that come from it. You know things like it really leaned into the ensemble cast uh, way more than anyone uh, has before or since, except maybe Type Zero. Like four had a similar number of party members, but most of them, like a lot of them, were fleeting guests who joined for a bit. Same with two, where it's like. You had mm -hmm. a large cast, but not necessarily, like, the ensemble cast. With Six, like, it is difficult to decide who is actually the main character. There's a lot of reasonable debate about that. Officially, giant, giant air quotes, you have two main characters, one in the world of balance and one of the world of ruin. But, but if you've played through the world of ruin, you're like, well, I didn't have her in my party the entire time, and the story still went off just fine. So, like... Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like, you can have whoever you want. Yeah, there's not, like, any kind of fixed party once you get to that point. And no. you, uh, you can complete the World of Ruin with just three characters. Would you like to have a treasure hunter, a child artist, a dog man wild boy, and the <laughs> abominable snow person? Go for it! We yeah. yeah. Also, the abominable snow person's dancing floofball. Yes. Who's, also just, kind of, who's no. also just kind of the mascot character. Okay. Now, if we were to do all of this in one go, we would be here for probably four hours. And so that's just listening. That's not us responding. The OST is like three discs, I want to say. It's, it is three discs. It's insane. So we are going to split this up over three episodes. Today, we are going to go over disc one. And it starts like this. So good. <laughs> Love it. They hold it so long. This is Omen, or the opening theme from Final Fantasy VI. The first game it was, well, the last game was just, I get to go on an adventure with a bunch of my friends and hang out with a chocobo. And now you're like, what is this horror shit? Why is there lightning striking the logo? Oh god, we haven't even started playing yet. You got your ominous building uh, or pipe organ cord. Like this, like, this is no longer the lighthearted adventures he said. Something big is about to go down. This is not suddenly appearing in front of a castle for no apparent reason. This is, is this like the one where we like showed up, killed a bunch of people, stole a crystal, killed everybody in a tower, then killed a mom and then just ran off like, oh, God, like and that was like two games ago. Now we're getting to this dramatic bit. Well, you're not far off on what we how we start this game off. <laughs> we do yeah. show up in a random town with some heavy duty armament and we uh 
We're there looking for, like, this power sealed within crystal. I mean, ice crystal in this case, but... It's always crazy to look, to replay the opening scene of a game that you know in your heart and in your head. Because you're catching stuff that alludes to things way later in the game that you had no idea what it was the first time you played it. Yep. The first time you play through this, it's like, why why are they doing that? Um, You're like, oh, the Esper, it's in ice. And then you play 13 and you go, oh, sweet Jesus. (laughs) Like, Like, oh, God, they know what they're doing very well. This song is just so good. It has so also, many. Go ahead. Tiny spoilers. There are songs on this soundtrack that are very, very long. Yes. I mean, this, this one's four one minutes. But it has so many elements of the game within it. Like, it's been yeah. changing throughout this time. It's not the same song for four minutes. And it's opening you up and it's seeing what you're doing. This particular piece of the song. When my first time that I went to Distant Worlds, this was actually their closing song. And they had the credits rolling of, you know, Arnie Roth, Seattle Symphony Orchestra. But they still had the animation of the three Magitek armors walking through the snow. Yeah, between the first bit and this bit, there's a sequence with just the wind howling on the promontory over the still to our Imperial soldiers and their captive witch discussing what they're going to be doing, uh, followed by, yeah, we've got a credit roll as it in the glorious mode 7 graphics as they march towards it. They recreated this as well for the team where they uh, had that Magitek armor mount available. Yes. The first, uh, when it was yeah. first uh, come out in 2.2.0, one of my roommates was like, oh yeah, we've, we've taken so many screenshots in Coerthus right now. Like, we would get our bouts, and they just went to Corthus and just did screenshots. Slow walk it. Wait for no weather. Figured the song is almost over. We'll just play it through. This is one of the best tracks in in all Final Fantasy. Again, going to that kind of ensemble casting, you're getting lots of little leap motifs of various characters throughout. It's the type of thing you hear as the overture of an opera. Where you have like all these little elements of the songs that you're going to be hearing throughout the piece. But if that's how you start the game, that's pretty fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. you start out and you're like, what do I have? And at the end of the game, you're sitting there with 70 hours of gameplay and 16 characters and you're an emotional wreck and you've watched people that you develop relationships with live, die and move on. And you're like, playing a video game still, right? <laughs> Like, yeah, it really is more of an overture than an opening theme. Like, just in terms of, like, it really is setting the stage for this big dramatic story that we're about to tell. All right. So, next song takes us into the minds of Narsh. This is basically the first dungeon. I think you also do this music when you're in the town of Narsh proper, don't you? Yeah. I think it also plays in the mines themselves, do they not? Yeah, like the town and the mines both. Yeah, this this is the first town you're also in. For Narsh, the two are kind of all inseparable from each other. It, it is very much a mining town. Yeah. It's described as 
uh, long after the death of Magic. This is a place for, like, kind of the place for the new industrial revolution, uh, rediscovery things like gunpowder, uh, various types of metalworking. This is a, a kind of a place of technology. It has Sorry, you're cutting out a little bit there, Sarah. It has a pensive feel to it. Like, mm-hmm. it's ostensibly a thing that's like moving towards the future, but there's a little bit of like uncertainty. You can hear it in the running underneath there. You kind of got the hole. And this is the early piece where it's all dialogue. So you're really starting to understand where you are. Because literally dropping people in front of a castle with no with no purpose was obviously not the best way. So they wanted <laughs> to give us a little bit of opening to see where we were. So there's a lot of text. Yes. Yeah. A lot going we on. We get introduced to the idea of this empire that's doing stuff. Uh, the returners are mentioned for the first time. There's a washing into the Eds of Sapia or Black and White. My memory uh, serves correctly. Where they're like, here's a thing that is also happening or has happened in the past. And they're showing the generals rising up with the army and things being destroyed. And it's all I want to say. It's Sapia toned over all of the text. I think so. No. Not sure. It's just a nice little tune. But it's it's not a happy one. It's not like a sad or dour one, but it is an uncertain one. Yeah. But it still has a, a, a really uh, I, interesting feel love, to it. I love it. It's just not a happy one. No, but like it's uncertain. It's uncertain is accurate, but it doesn't generate fear as no. a response. It is just unknown. Well, it's very fitting because we're just being dropped into this situation and we don't know what's going on. And uh, paired up with our ostensible main character who also doesn't know even her own name for a little bit. And even after that comes back, still can't remember most of her past. Speaking of that, this plays when uh, said character has a, a revelation. It also is the theme of Mobles in the world of Ruin, way later in the game. But uh, this, when Terra, the main character of the first half of the game, basically gets some idea as to what is going on, or basically comes out of her um, Magitek control, she realizes what she did and what she needs to kind of do to fix this. She, wants she instantly feels remorseful mm-hmm. for the actions that she's taken, even though she wasn't under control. It's a good way to sort of show our character as we have a very moral character that is going to be our, for the current piece of the story, the protagonist. Uh, one of Tara's central themes in her character arc is the idea of wanting to understand what love is, what emotions are. She's this uh, kind of... Uh, we can just really talk about the spoiler aspects, can't we? It's The game is like a decade old. I think it's 25 years old. Spoiler yeah. alert. Or deal so, with yeah. it or whatever. I, Kafka, or not Kafka, Tara is a half human, half Esper. As she rediscovers this uh, part of herself, the Esper is being this kind of magical, be very separate from the world. She's right. What does this mean for her? Is she someone that can relate to other people? She can send someone that can feel love. Not in the sense of like, oh, I want a romance, but 
being able to connect to people or if she's kind of separate from others. That's and so there's, a, there's a little bit of that uncertainty that kind of wavering in this tune as well. Yep, that was Terra's awakening. But then we meet a new character. <laughs> My favorite treasure hunter. Treasure. All the treasure hunters are going to rip your lungs out. He's not a thief. He's a treasure hunter. Our oh, work does not get nearly enough love. This is <laughs> the so theme good. of Lock Cole. Now, yeah, this is an upbeat. at the end of his name, so we know he's not messing around. <laughs> Before Treasure Hunter, he's definitely a bit of an adventurer. Uh, he's the type of person who has connections to underground resistance groups, goes around all over the place. He, he's a treasure hunter with a heart of gold. And if you look at what gear he can use, he can use almost anything in the game. He is definitely your fluid character that can do lots of things. Yep. But is ultimately a support role for everybody else that you have in your party. Yeah. I mean, there are times when he becomes your your main damage dealer. Yep. But uh, yep. when you gather everybody back up and you've got uh, Edgar and you've got Sabin, you know, you'll use him to steal things from the, the boss or to... Uh, you know, just to, to I, steal Gil or whatever, you know. I think we would call him making a passable mage as well for various things. Yeah, uh, later on, he's a good support mage. He's not good at healing. He's not super great at offensive magic. He can be speed run, stat crunching, all kinds of stuff. The thing that he is best at naturally, if you just kind of casually play through the game, is giving him all the status condition stuff. Have him haste your party. Have him a critical candy. Which, again, fits with thief slash treasure hunter. He primarily uses daggers and light swords. He uses medium-ish armor. Uh, he can get the cool accessories so that he can run faster or have higher luck or hit something with two hands. But he's just not... If you put him in as a physical attacker, he's not going to touch Kyan at all. If you put him in as Matt as a mage, he's not going to touch Saris at all. He is a very good balanced character for you to try shit on and then figure out who's better at it and have them do it from that point forward. He also worked pretty well with some of the throwing weapons, having him in the back row for that. Yep, when you don't have shadow. He and Ninja work together doing that. It's great. Yep. And then, when you get into those battles... I hear the sound of a wrench being thrown at me. Does anybody else hear the sound of a wrench being thrown at them? (laughs) Oh man, I can hear the little dings. And we've talked about this before with other games, how like the battle theme kind of it seems to be time to work well, to fit in well with the various sounds of the actual interface. If you watch uh, watch an Edgar Wright film, uh, specifically uh, Baby Driver is a really good one. Everything, every brake squeal, every tire close, every door, every gunshot, every table slam, everything is time to music. All of it. And battle music in FF does that as well, but it does it with random sound effects. Right. It's so crazy how they pulled it off. It's active time battle. You can't guarantee that they're going to be doing uh, moves at certain intervals alike, but you can build music that is very adaptable to being able to slip those things in pretty much anywhere. It's a song you're going to hear a lot in the game, but it's it's really oh, well done battle theme. It's a song that you hear the first 16 notes of a lot. <laughs> yeah. 
eventually you just crush everything and then you're running and you just hear the and then it immediately cuts to fanfare you mean (laughs) I mean you can't have a battle theme without a fanfare it's true screw you 12 (laughs) good damn it I mean, you get the fanfare after boss battles. But we don't we don't get this one in 13 either, so... Yeah. Get a different, very different victory theme in 13. There's plenty I can discuss about when we get to 13, but that's yeah. for a much later show. I mean, it's a very cool. different set of uh, um, people making the music for 13. I mean, this was I still like all Uematsu. Despite all of the oh, don't get me wrong. There's a lot. Bits. There's a anyway. lot of good stuff in thirteen, but it it's not. Right. You know, it's not key right. Uematsu stuff. That's the classic victory fanfare. Pretty much similar to all the other times. I don't think there's anything super specially different about it. Other than the fact that it's just an amazing song. Now we get to meet what two we- new characters. This is the theme for Edgar and Sabin. No, we don't know that's the theme for Edgar and Sabin when we first no. hear it. This is this I believe plays in uh, um, Edgar's castle. Figaro yep. Castle. Figaro yes. Castle. Yep. Yeah. Like that's one of the things. A lot of these themes. It, a lot of these themes. It may seem at first that they're associated with a place, but it becomes like no, this is about a person. And that's six in general. It's about the people. Yep. It's not about it's always about the people. It is about Kefka. It is about Kayan's wife. It is about Sabin's mentor. It is about their father who made them flip a coin. It is about every single person. It's really cool. Well, okay. They chose to flip a coin, but fair, but still. Oh, <laughs> uh, if I'm reading oh, yeah, this, kind of that regal imperial, uh, not imperial, but like the regal, it's like this is a castle. This is very much like a you come to the castle uh, part of this. Big brass, big brass is almost always just associated with royalty in Final Fantasy. Yeah, and Edgar likes to play that to the hilt. He seems to like he at least projects the appearance of enjoying being the king and being in charge and doing all that because He's he also- knows that his role is to do that. Because if he doesn't. It's going to be bad, but behind closed doors. Oh, dude, he is so done with all of this shit. Well, he, he's also kind of using his position to try and uh, hit on all the ladies. So a little bit problematic machinists. This is where your drill and your flamethrower and your bioblaster came from. By and the way, your, you're welcome. your air anchor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is where those job yeah. abilities came from that you got in. Uh, 4.0 and 5.0. Yeah, which was really nice. Machinists didn't have quite as clear of an identity, but linking it to this classic thing of Edgar and all of his various stuff. Well, the fact that the guy turned his castle into a giant uh, moving underground drilling machine. Mole castle. And then in, in World of Final Fantasy, you get captured. He captures you. He's a, obviously he's turned, he's playing both sides and he's a good guy, but he's just faking it. He captures you in his castle and you have to go like travel through Figaro Castle jail and like you're underground. So there's like dirt coming out of this like mechanical space. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's the same thing in six as well. He plays as being allied with the Empire, which is why Kefka even comes for a visit in the first place. But he's secretly in league with the Returners. 
He, Edgar with, is very much with a placebo site. Sorry. But speaking of... Does this sound like the theme of of the major endgame uh, antagonist? It sounds like the kind of quirky mini-boss thing, and there's kind of an escalating thing going on with Kefka, where the first time, okay, he's this person complaining about having to do this castle inspection, then he's the person who's set the fire at the castle, then he's the person who poisoned the river, then he's the person who just murdered all the espers that we brought in for the peace conference. Then he's the guy who shoved the statue. And each time, it's the same theme, but there is kind of a build, both in the theme itself and in where we see it, there's like a kind of building, escalating nature yeah, then, to it. then he's the kind of guy who destroys the entire world and becomes a god. If he can't win, no one can. And then he wins. Yeah. His own weird, twisted brain. I mean, yeah. it's not even about wanting to win. It's just about like wanting seeing, to uh, human endeavors and point, point want, and wanting to destroy everything. Wanting to sow chaos. So here's one of my favorite things about this particular track: is it starts out with the laugh. No, that was me. <laughs> was that you? Oh, that did was, you play I, that? I, you I, have it on the board, right? That bit. <sighs> Drilled into our mind. It doesn't always start with the laugh, but like in most scenes, they will play that with him. Starts after. It's literally the first spoken line of dialogue in Final Fantasy. Hmm. Obviously, it's, it's not, true. you know, spoken word like we get in 10, but it's a voice that is assigned to a character that is recorded, that is played when that character is emoting, making noise. It is the actual first line of spoken dialogue in Final Fantasy. Nice. And it's Kefka, who is in most most votes in Japan and the US. He is the second most popular Final Fantasy villain behind Cypheroth. All right, see if this is a little easier to hear. Oh, it's still really quiet. Yeah. yeah. He is creepy as shit, and I love him to pieces. I kind of like that even though his role keeps ramping up, keeps escalating, like the, he keeps pushing the ante on how horrible things he's doing, the music itself doesn't change, but it still seems to fit. Like, it works as, okay, here's this quirky side boss character, and it continues to work for him up to God, who has just declared that he will destroy everything and create a monument to non-existence. And we'll get to that it's whole so bit in a bit, or in we'll a couple episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Until then, we're going to go... To Mount Colts. Ah! This, uh, this plays in mountainous locations. Uh, also plays in Esper Caves and Mount Zozo. And in uh, Duncan's Cabin in the World of Ruin. So Now, the Duncan's Cabin connection, I think, is because uh, Duncan had been training in the mountains. So we could reasonably believe that when we find it, it's also like in a somewhat mountainous location. The scene where we, if I remember right, it's the scene where we get Sabin. Yes. Yeah. Mount Colts is where Sabin has been training with the bears. And there is a there was a wrestler in the 90s named Chris Sabin, and he got his stage name from this character. <laughs> <laughs> For a moment, I thought it was about to be the other way around, but that's awesome. Well, it's pretty rad. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of wrestlers are just nerds. Well, <laughs> like, look I at the new day. Nerds. 
I did see the ones who came in in Red Mage cosplay. That was pretty yeah, great. Yeah, that was pretty rad. Yeah, that's a new day. Yep. And Final Fantasy XIV was actually a sponsor of WrestleMania, I believe, or one of the pay-per-views. SummerSlam, maybe it was. That sounds right. I think it was SummerSlam. But it was the same I one where they came out in cosplay no with idea. chocobos and moogles and all that shit. It was crazy. And so we've got our, like, this one's got kind of a feeling of adventurousness again. Like, it's capturing a little bit of that FF5 feel of like, okay, we are like climbing the mountains and going on an adventure and who knows what's around the van. Last time I climbed a mountain in Final Fantasy V, it went reasonably well. The time I climbed a mountain in Final Fantasy IV, it did not go well. And the time in Final Fantasy III, we lost Joseph. Like, can we stop climbing mountains? They don't work that out super two, well most not of the been? time. You would have lost Joseph in two, though. Yeah, Joseph was two. Oh, yeah, Joseph was two. Who did we lose in three? Dash? Yeah, I don't know. A lot of dead people in FF the Final Fantasy NES days. You can put stuff at the top of mountains. Like, you have this thing, you have stuff you get through, you have a goal at the top. It's like a story in physical form. And that physical form is made of rocks and very tall. <laughs> Play oh. yeast, dude. Like, that's where you're at. <laughs> or Tower of Druaga. All right. <laughs> now, these guys had been mentioned early on in the game, but now we actually get an introduction to the Returners. The Rebel Alliance, effectively. Yeah? Of this game. It does have a little bit of a military feel to it, which they're trying to position themselves as, like, this opposition to the Empire. Even though they don't... Like, they seem to act more as... Like, they don't seem to act and move as a military does, but it does have this kind of, like, organized feel to it. There's a certain... I mean, there's certain stuff that works when you're organizing that many people for mm -hmm. a counter-fight organization. Yep. Uniforms and militaries and ranks work, dude. Like, sometimes you just have to stick with what works in order to survive. You need some sort it of organization. It doesn't really feel like we see much of the returners outside of the specific, like, party members and one or two other people. I mean, there are a number of people that are members of the Returners. Um, I mean, half of Narsh is uh, members of the Returners. Um, and th there there are uh, factions that have spread across the, the world of balance, but... Uh, it feels, ends up feeling a little more like a sleeper cell type thing than anything else. They are cells, yeah, kind of. But uh, And I think it relies on getting messages back and forth through different means. Their comm network, and that's part of why Locke fits in with them so well, is that he can move around. And Edgar, to a, to a certain extent, because he can use his uh, diplomatic status, I suppose. Yep. Yeah. Status, power, immunity? I don't yeah. like immunity, but... That kind of thing. Yeah. Alright. So let's move on. We're introduced to a new, another new character. You have a lot of opportunities to be introduced to this character. The first one is actually, I think, even before you hear the Returners theme. Yep. Yep. This is Shadow's theme. Shadow is an <sighs> enigma of a character, initially. It seems like he's actually working with the Empire. But Yeah, it's really hard to put it put down like what he's doing. 
he's kind of doing his own thing to start with, but he ends up becoming an ally. Yeah. He does. <clears throat> Slightly That's unwilling, up. but he does become an ally. If you meet him in South Figaro, I believe Locke is the one who makes a comment about how he'd slit his own mama's throat for a nickel. It seems like he may be working with the Empire, but it's not because he especially adheres to their ideals or anything. He'll just do whatever for whoever pays him without thought of morality. And he has a puppy. That is the best part of Shadow, is, is the puppy. And how... The theme doesn't quite line up with that, okay, he's just this heartless person. Like, there's a little bit of like a lonely feel to it. Like there's something going on in the music that doesn't quite square with what everyone thinks of that. The, the whistle sound in the song, because I grew up watching old spaghetti westerns and black and white films, like I'm getting like this weird Western gunslinger yeah. wanderer vibe out of it too. Yeah. yeah, I didn't watch as much of spaghetti Western films, but I played a fuck ton of Wild Arms, which has a lot of that same feel. And there's a lot, there's that element there too. Like it feels like he's from a Western. And Pyrocats asking in chat if that's a jaw harp. Yes, I believe that actually is a synthesized uh, or supposed to be to synthesize the sound of a jaw harp. It's Japan. It's the 90s. Remember when the Green Ranger played a flute through a solid helmet that sounded like a synthesizer playing a trumpet? <laughs> Don't think about it too hard. Like, you just you just gotta let some shit go, like, every once in a while. Alright, and our next theme is whenever the party engages with the Empire or walks around an Imperial base. This is basically kind of their version of their Imperial March, but it is called Troops March On. This is, uh, I want to say it's like Sabin and Shadow meet Kayan, if I remember right. Yeah, just yeah. outside of uh, Doma. Yeah. Sabin does that, is, does oh. that name sound familiar to you guys out there on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Sabin has been separated uh, from the rest of the party as they made their way down the river. Uh, he ends up trying to make his way back, potentially joins up with Shadow. They move to Imperial Camp where we're introduced to Leo, see Leo interacting with Kefka. Kefka does the whole thing where he poisons an entire castle. And then Cyan uh, uh, comes charging in uh, for vengeance, and uh, the th three of them join up together. Cyan, Cayan, whatever. I mean, like I said, it looks like the color Cyan, so I think that's what most people in the U.S. say. Yeah, yeah. It, it's because the it's because they only had seven letters, so they six couldn't letters. fit Cayan. Is it six? Yeah, they couldn't fit the full word of Cayan, so they did that instead. And then it's like, well, the katakana says this, and. His name in kanji is this, and he's actually a samurai, but in America we call him a knight, and it's like, you know what? <laughs> Sword yeah. guy. It's yeah. Mr. Thou. It's Mr. Thou. Thou. That's his yes, name he, now. He is like, Mr. I think Thou. We I think we could have handled the idea of samurai, except samurai is also seven letters. Samurai and, well, I mean, we had, you know, <laughs> touching back on Japanese media, Power Rangers, the ninjas were aliens. They like, they're like, oh, we can't do that. That's too much Japanese culture. So like, oh, samurai, hmm, can't do that. Let's call him a knight instead. And, and yeah, the like... audience probably would have been okay with it, but the people making it thought that American audiences wouldn't have responded. I guess. I don't know. Speaking of cyan or cayenne, 
Those of you who play 14 will also recognize this theme. And Kyan himself gets name dropped in 14 as well. There's a he couple does. different um, mm -hmm. invocations yep. of that connection. Kyan uh, in, in Japanese, well, spelled out in Romanji, is K-A-I-E-N. That name is dropped in the, the Stormblood story. Yep, the former yep. king of Doma. Yes. Kyan's father. Right. Yep. Uh, he and uh, in one of the uh, cutscenes, depending on which dialogue choice you have, he will mention uh, what his childhood name was, and that actually is the name of uh, Kai and son in Final Fantasy VI. That's really cool. Yeah, right? They I, love, I love these little tiny... 14 is just a playground for Final Fantasy fans. It honestly. absolutely is, and that's what we, why we love it so much. I mean, it it's allows us to explore all these other Final Fantasies as well. Now, it's, a, it's an MMO, but also. For a, a thing where we, our introduction to Cayenne is as this really hot-blooded, raging samurai who's just had his entire family cut down. The music doesn't quite line up with that. It's a little more serene. The, There's power behind it, but... As we get to know Cyan, Cayenne, um, we realize that this is actually very fitting for him. Right. Yes. But the fact that if we get to see, again, this game is about the characters you get to see his interactions with everybody and his interactions with Gao was the first person you really get to see him interact with other than Sabin, who's an equal an adult male he meets like Realm his dialogue with Realm is crazy because you can definitely tell that he's a dad and he then you really know how to handle this foul mouthed little girl yeah He's he definitely you can tell, oh, he's a dad. And when he interacts with Edgar, you can go, oh, he's also a leader. Like you can see little pieces of his personality in how he interacts with other people and what we know of those people. It's that weird quadrant thing of the things that only, you know, the things that other people know and you don't, the things that everybody knows the things that you know and other people don't like. It's that kind of blend of we know what these people are. We don't know what Cayenne is, but when we see them interact, we start seeing more of what Cayenne can do based on what we know of the people that we have a better grasp of. Yeah. If that makes yeah. any kind of sense at all. It's like kind of assembling this complete picture of the person. Mm -hmm. The music wow. also evokes like his uh, kind of like, searching for this like serenity and acceptance which we see this hot-blooded rage we see in the world of ruin where he's like trying to where he's uh, writing letters to this uh, woman pretending to be her dead boyfriend because he uh, wants to spare her the sorrow that he felt and we see him eventually confronting his own demons mm -hmm. like searching for this kind of inner peace uh through the, uh and making his way through this tragedy God, I love this character so much. <laughs> Moving on, though, we, we like I said, we could talk about character uh, arcs in great detail. You know, we may you know revisit some of these games just to do that. Yeah. But uh, moving on, since we have music to talk about. This track is called The Unforgiven. This plays during tight situations, such as Sabin's battle with Vargas. The Siege of Doma, or the, the Poisoning of the River, mm -hmm. um, and the Crumbling House in Sen. It's something that's not just like 
a strong action, but it does have that, like, it fits with that feeling of, like, anger of rage, like, the title being The Unforgiven. This is something where uh, Sabin is confronting Vargas over the murder of, of their, of their uh, master, Vargas's father. Cyan uh, is charging into the Imperial camp uh, after seeing the entirety of Doma Castle poisoned. These are people who have been overtaken by rage, and it, you kind of get that quickening feel of bloodlust out of this. You're not thinking, you're not uh, raging through something. This is just like pure directed uh, emotion. But also when this plays, you would think it would be, oh, it's a tight situation where you might have the opportunity to fail here. And you do. Like, you can get absolutely wrecked in a lot of these situations if you do get in battle. But for the most part, these are situations that you are going to absolutely pummel the crap out of someone. But they're using combat as a stage. And this is one of the things that Six did that hadn't really been done in gaming before, where instead of battle being basically a second game to the actual game you were playing instead we would put in dialogue we would see the story we would see gao bounce around the mr thou scene is done in the battle uh when tara uses fire in front of edgar for the first time and he loses his fucking mind like that all happens in battle this music is playing during a lot of those kind of intense moments where we're getting exposition, mm -hmm. but I'm also supposed to be menu crunching right now. Mm -hmm. It's a weird, cool experience to give to a player. Yeah. The other thing it actually made me think of. So normally you have, uh, you may have the music and then the battle music takes over when uh, the Unforgiven is playing. So like the crumbling house in Sen, uh, when you're rushing through that house, try as, as trying to save the little child, when you get into battle, this music keeps going. There are some situations where the ba the music doesn't change over. It keeps to this to keep that t uh, tense, rush, emotional feeling going on. Yeah, yep, without exactly. going full lampshade and just putting a timer in the corner. Like, no, <laughs> I want it's, I want to know that things suck intuitively. I don't want a timer in the corner like we got with eight for that Ifrit Cave thing. Like, no, no, seven. I want to know things are bad. Because I can hear it, because I can see it, because I got one shot right before the battle ended and then immediately got into battle and my battle loads and I have a dead party member. I like that. Keep the music playing through all of that. That's scary. That's intense. All right, let's keep moving. Our next tune. Very spooky. Boopy one. Phantom Forest. Zulio, thank you for the follow. We do appreciate you you stopping by and uh, joining us here. If you missed out, we are listening to Final Fantasy VI music. We're on disc one. That's an, This is another one where you've got like that kind of pensive air of mystery. Yes. The Phantom Forest is a very... It, it's shrouded in a lot of mist. It's very... It's, it's meant to keep you lost you, you know you, yeah, if you don't follow the right pathway through you can loop around over and over holy crap guys what's up we just got a oh. hundred dollar donation to extra life oh my gosh Anonymous. thank you so thank you thank you so much for that donation that is amazing 
And Zulio, as a fan of saying in chat, as a fan of Final Fantasy for being a musician, I appreciate this a lot. Well, we're gonna be continuing this a lot more in the future. Um, we did Final Fantasies one through five, starting at episode one nineteen, I believe we started the music. So if you want to jump back and listen to some of that, we would encourage that as well. Um, but even though this is a very spooky theme, getting back to the song. Sorry, <laughs> kind of have to keep the podcast going. <laughs> it's good, man. Not just in the force, but any time where it's like, it's not necessarily about being spooky, but just being again that element of unknown. Mm-hmm. But in like a less active rushing forward, like with the mountain, and a bit more of the like you're stepping carefully, you're looking around each uh, tree to see what's up up ahead, and as much as you can because the trees are dense and growing denser. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not only spooky and and unknown, but it's also kind of beautiful in the same way. Yeah. Like there's an enticing element to it. Absolutely. There's something that says, just go another few steps, see what's it's like. Yes, you need to look around the corner, but you also should see what's around that corner. What might be there? That high bit running through now—it's almost like a siren song. Yeah, I, I I see it. Uomato did just such an amazing job in this. He did. Yeah, now, now that I'm listening for it, there's definitely all that sounds like a kind of siren voice calling you forward. And remember, he did all of this on Super Nintendo. <laughs> this is the, the third game in the Super Nintendo trilogy. So just like Final Fantasy 3 had amazing sounding music for the NES generation, at this point, Uematsu had really gotten into his stride when it came to programming music for the Super Nintendo, or the Super Famicom mm-hmm. in his case, I guess. It's the uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 and Excite Bike principle. Like I show people like, okay, play Excite Bike for 10 minutes, now play Super Mario Brothers 3 for 10 minutes tell me that that's the same piece of hardware (laughs) like it's almost impossible to consider that that's the same piece of hardware but we look at what came out in 2013 on a ps4 versus what's coming out right now Mm -hmm. and you're like oh it's definitely better now but you look at side by side you're like "Eh, it's it's better i guess but like it you know you we haven't upgraded the hardware at all but our software we've learned how to max it out and tap it out but in the days of the famicom the super famicom even the genesis even the 64, we had no idea what these systems were capable of when we first started designing stuff for them. And a lot of that we've also discussed before. Like, it's a, they're still limited in a lot of ways. So, a lot of it is like the whole getting people to hear the notes that you didn't actually play. A lot of those kind, you have to invoke a lot more of that. We're going to play with the senses because we know that it can evoke this thing we can't do otherwise. And I feel like that's just not as necessary anymore. So, you don't get like that huge gap because you don't have the, okay, we've now figured out how to do this such that we can play with the senses that way. We don't have the restriction to breed creativity. We have the what's a restriction? <laughs> yeah, mentality. Breed creativity, though. All right, next song. I love this song. I love how it builds up. But you've got that little rhythm always behind it. This is the Phantom Train. 
this was a good raid. I liked doing this one. And <laughs> yes, I was... it was a raid in 14, but it was also an amazing dungeon in Final Fantasy VI. I mean, that's the re the fact that we actually fought the goddamn train in six is why it became a raid in fourteen. That said, I'm still disappointed that there's not anything that involves subplexing the train. I love the fact that you can buy perler bead art from like two two point five D prints or whatever, and they just dead ass have Sabin just like in the air with the like the shoulder drop animation. <laughs> He's just slant and the train, the whole thing of the train is just upside down. Just does not care. Suplex a train, bitch. You yeah, know, you know Sabin is the best character because he can suplex a train. Oh, for those okay, let me get this straight. Ninja, Samurai Knight, weird child that's eating beef jerky, muscle head suplexes a train while the train is moving. Uh, the weird child wasn't with them yet. That came after. Yet. I think, oh, that's right. You get him right after you leave the forest. Correct. Yep. It's all very blurry. The, the whole thing part of the game. with the phantom train, though, how basically this is kind of like ferrying souls. Which they don't find out until uh, they've gotten, or one of them knows, but warns the others too late as they hear the door lock and they hear that. Yeah, and you're like, oh, by the way, like this is effectively the river sticks and we're on a boat. So good luck, y'all. Yep. But it was. Very... I got. I just saw the biggest grin on Pyrocats' face when I said that. <laughs> I will say though, it, there is a very sweet moment once you defeat the the Phantom Train, uh, with uh, Cayenne and uh, the souls of his family. So, it's a it's a very heartfelt moment. It's a good scene. It's a good fight. It's a fun time. I mean, the only reason we get on is because he sees his family get on, isn't it? And there's that screech. Like, I like that they added the things up, because when you're on the train, it is going in the loop, but they do have, like, that sound of the train screeching to a halt. Like, a lot of those little elements there. And yes, for those who are not aware of it, uh, so there is a... There's a number of entertaining glitches uh, in Final Fantasy VI. One of them is that Sabin, the, being the martial artist, can do a suplex on a number of different enemies, where he'll leap to them, jump into the air, jump, comes back with them upside down, slamming them into the ground. There's a number of enemies for which he cannot actually do this, because they're too big and heavy and bulky and whatnot. The train is supposed to be one of those enemies, but a flag did not get set properly on it. So you can, in <laughs> fact, have him. The fight has, just like in Final Fantasy XIV, the train moving down the tracks. You, in this case, running along the tracks instead of being on a minecart. Running in front of the train, trying to not get yes. squished. On the left side of the screen, which is opposite from how the battle system works. Yep. Yeah. It's so good. It's uh, But you can, in fact, in, uh, input the thing, and then Simon pauses, leaps to the train, Leaps up in the air with the train, comes back down, slams the train. <laughs> Completely accidental, oh. misset flag, became a meme in its own right. And okay. there's a lot of stuff in Final Fantasy, and Square Enix is very good at this. If there's a bug that creates a situation that doesn't really negatively impact the game, per se, they're like, nah, screw it, leave it in, it's funny. Yeah, it it's and not now a we have a bunch of legacy crap that's built up over 20 years. 
Oh, we have all the shibboleths. Yes. All the shibboleths. All right. So, so you, you were getting to this a little earlier, but this is at the point where we get to the Velt. Or the Wild West. They, <laughs> this plays in the Velt. <laughs> yep. And this, this is, is actually, it's a grindy section, so you're mm -hmm. here a lot. Yes. I mean, yeah. This is where you fight um, dinosaurs, I believe. Yes, you can fight dinosaurs. You can fight magitek armor. Uh, you can fight, like, a, if you get towards the coastlines, you can fight some of the water stuff, which doesn't make any sense, but whatever, who cares? Uh, Gao is one of the... Ooh, ooh. He's not one of the original blue mages, but, like, he kind of leans into the blue mage side because he uses all of the beast magic. Right. I mean, we've got a different character who is explicitly called out to be a blue mage, but Gao has some elements of that. Mm -hmm. He's considered a feral child, and in order to gain his trust, you have to feed him beef jerky. Yep. Feed him the beef jerky. It's a key item, and then he joins you, and there's a whole scene where he tries to talk to in the English translation. He's trying to talk to everybody, but he doesn't really know how to speak properly. And he tries to talk to uh, Cayenne, who's having thou, thou. difficulty dealing with a bouncy, obnoxious <laughs> boy. And he says, "You know, thou must calm thyself or something to that effect. And of course, Gao responds with thou, 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 thou. <laughs> and he starts actually physically bouncing around the combat screen. Mr. Thou, Mr. Thou, Mr. Thou. And then he gave name for the rest of the game. <laughs> and I think uh, Savage has to say, it's like, yeah, his family just died. He's not exactly in the mood, dude. And then Gao, like, creeps back over and apologizes, and it's very sweet. And he's like, I'm sorry. Like, he knew, he doesn't understand, but he understands that something he has done has hurt him. And so he goes, you know, and he kind of does his best to apologize, which is all you're going to get out of a pharaoh child. But he's doing his best. Gao's great. And once you and get... if you level up Gao, he's amazing. If you don't level up Gao, he is the most useless drop party member ever. <laughs> he's one of the ones that if you know what you're doing with him, especially depending on which rages you get, he will absolutely break the game. Wind God Gal, I think, is one of the, like, absurd, the name for one of the absurd combinations of give him the right gear and equip, uh, have him use the right rages. Speaking yeah. of Gal, this is actually his theme now. And it's very deep, but also very sad sounding. It plays in a couple very specific scenes. But it's a very different sounding song from what we've gotten thus far. If you told me that they had gathered a group of musicians, they gave each of them a note card with a dozen words on it and left them work by themselves, and then that was the soundtrack, I wouldn't be surprised. Because all of the songs are so unique and different and in-depth, but because it was one producer and it was one writer, it was Justu Amatsu, you end up with this overarching chord progression and set of tones that every single song has. Now, if you and told me, still set different. If you told me this was the one uh, that this was the one where he uh, gave that and that this was one for the wild child, I would be like, no, they got that swapped with a different one, right? 
and it speaks to some hidden depths about the character. Yeah, I think oh, yeah. it plays when we start learning a little bit more about Gao. Especially the scene where you meet the old man who lives in the shack. Uh, if you bring Gao along, uh, go through that entire scene there, you have uh, the sense of playing over it. Mm. Notes alone do not give you the full tonality of what you're asking about artistically. Yeah. All right, let's continue on. This is the theme called the Serpent Trench. I wonder where it plays. In the ancient castle, of course. And the Serpent well, yeah. Trench. <laughs> and Locke's house and shop two and... <laughs> no, it's... Also, uh, I believe in Japanese, it, it, it translates directly to the snake path. That sounds correct. I haven't looked at the kanji for this he- game in forever. Hebe no Michi, I believe. There's, there's something in that, like, that underlying tone. It sounds like a reference to one of the other elite motifs, but I'm having trouble placing it. I which. believe in the world of balance, this is actually underwater. <laughs> or is it? Or Because I, I know in the world of ruin, it's, it's actually a... Um, it's it's very different. I think it's actually out of the water. I'm, yes. I, it's been a while since I've played it, but I know that, that that this area in the center of this in the world of uh, ruin is uh, the tower. Of, is that correct? Yeah. So in the world of balance, it is a underwater kind of like a Gulf Stream current or something like that, where with the aid of a diving helmet, you are riding this effectively underwater pathway to quickly get to a, a port city. Oh yeah, where well, you find his special treasure, and you're like, what the heck? And then it's like, here's this ancient-ass 1930s diving helmet. It's like, sure, alright, that's fine. It's not the weirdest thing that's happened in this game. Gal's that's true. Shiny, shiny, shiny. Shiny, shiny. Can anything be that shiny? I just love listening to these songs. I don't think we've let we we've maybe only cut one song off so far. They've just all been so good. And this is why we take a while to do these soundtrack episodes, is because we're just not going to get anything done. <laughs> yeah, it also shows up in that ancient castle where again we've descended down into the depths and we're finding something like kind of this unexpected world. It again has that feeling of like excitement and adventure and exploration in the midst of this big like opera over operatic tale of all these characters clashing, there's this moment of focusing on the adventure. It's almost a little side story-ish in its own way. Alright. Let's continue on. Our next theme is called Kids Run Through the City. And this is the basically the town theme. It's a very town-theme-sounding song. Everything's okay. But is it? Is it really? For the moment, it is. Hey, don't worry about it. I just like that he called it Kids Run Through the City, because these towns are actually very lively. Yeah. There are quite a few where kids are actually playing back and forth. Some of them are uh, playing, uh, pretending to be Magitek armor. Until they're... That uh, was cute as hell. Yeah. 
They don't know what it actually is. They just know, hey, this is a fun thing that the adults talk about. It's like it's a not fun thing. Remember how you used to have parents? <laughs> like, it's not a fun thing, kids. But that's for later. For now. Yeah. For something for like this, maybe? This is under martial law. This is when, uh, so there's a part of the game where your party splits up into three and you have to do each route as a player and then all of your party comes back together. And this is the route that you get with Locke, who has decided to kind of go off on his own. If I'm remembering if it's the right yes. scene where he breaks into Figaro. Yeah, and he's yeah, so through. Yeah, the, the Imperial Army has uh, taken over South Figaro um, after uh, it was basically after we all ran away from Figaro Castle on uh, Chocobo back. And uh, the, kids are, the kids are still running around in the street a little bit, but the tenor of their games has changed. I mean, with all of the Imperial soldiers standing at every entrance and exit, you know, it kind of makes things a little bit more tension, a little more tensions going on here. This was a cool scene due to I mean not only just the music is good and you get to see some exposition while looking around a corner and you get to read some dialogue for people that don't know that you're hearing it or knowing what's going on this is also a scene where you get to use Locke's thieving abilities to steal outfits you mean hunt <laughs> treasure and you change your clothes and they use a different animation sprite for you to walk around with to get you through certain doors. Oh, so instead that... of just find a key, it's find a dude that's wearing this outfit, beat the crap out of him, steal his clothes, and then run over here. That poor merchant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the ability for a beat up a soldier and take his uniform. That I was okay with. <laughs> the merchant was kind of a dick, though, too. I mean, everybody in Figaro was kind of a dick, to be fair. They're under Imperial occupation. Tensions are kind of running high. True. All right. yeah, this is very much suited to Locke's brand of stuff. Uh, to that, like, kind of, like, a little bit of, like, the fast-talking, like, the thief, treasure hunter, whatever type aspect. The person who's gathering information, traveling around from place to place. And he finds a really bi interesting bit of information here. Uh, Imperial General, current traitor. Yep, this is Celis' theme. Probably one of the most beautiful themes in the game. Probably one of the most well known. Well, it shares this section. Yes. Right here. This is the section that is why, because this section shows up in another song later. Yes, which we will talk about on the next episode. Yep. But uh, yeah, it's it's very beautiful. Um, it's probably my second favorite character theme in the game. It's surprisingly like, like, what I want. Like for for some, you hear this like as I say, this is an imperial general. This is one of the people who is helping the empire. She's turned away from them, but even like a imperial general who's turned to the side of good guys, you wouldn't expect something that's delicate. Delicate, delicate, broken. You don't expect an Arya. Like this sounds like it came from Final Fantasy three in a lot of ways, just because of how melodic it is. Yeah, but I've been 
There's a lot more to Celis than what we know. Oh my god, Celis is amazing. She's one of my favorite characters. Absolutely, she's she is one of the strongest characters in the game. I yeah. had a I had a PC in a FFRPG game who was like, I want to be like that character from Six, and I was like, okay, we can do that. They ended up becoming a Ronso. They ended up going with a Gunblade, and we ended up homebrewing some rules where they could use Runic like she did. Nice. But instead of the magic being nullified, it could get stored. Ooh. So when they used their gunblade, they got effectively chaos. If you play FF or play D&D 5th edition, it was effectively chaos uh, wild magic. Nice. So if it went, if the gun went off, it was whatever the hell was in there. And I was using old Crystal Chronicles spell combination rules. So they were throwing off all kinds of weird shit. But I put it at like the most mundane fights or the most inopportune moments because it was funnier. But it, we had a lot of fun being like, let's make Celis, but also Squall, but also Kimari. <laughs> it was now, awesome. Now, this particular iteration of the theme, as opposed to the aria that we mentioned before, uh, there's a scene that it can play in the world of Ruin that's considered to be a really establishing, not establishing because we feel like we're right, but like a really defining moment for Celes. And for establishing just how broken the world and uh, people's hopes have become. Where Her full name is supposed to be a heavenly thing, so it's supposed to be Celeste, but that's too long, so that's how it became Celes. Right. Uh, but that one will actually play over in the world of Ruin. The uh, Celeste becomes our focus character to start with. Uh, she's up, ended up on a deserted island along with her uh, adoptive, uh, uh, effectively adoptive grandfather, Sid. Uh, and the two are kind of just struggling to eke out an existence and survive. Uh, Celeste has woken up after a year in a coma. Sid himself has been taking care of her this whole time, but he's not doing well himself. Everyone else who had been on that island has passed away. They don't go into too much detail about that at that point. But you can attempt to uh, uh, help keep, take care of Sid as he took care of you. And you can fail at this. Sid and Celeste returns to find the, uh, her grandfather lying in the bed, not moving, eyes forever open and unblinking. And all of that, after having lost everything else, that's just too much for her. She uh, come, heads to the north of the island to a high cliff overlooking the sea, where, in not so many words, it's implied that for people who became too much, they would pitch themselves off that cliff and end it all. And this music plays, this thing as you have this imperial general, this really strong character, someone who's managed to rise to the top of this army, utterly broken by everything she's been through, all of the loss she suffered. And we hear it as she pitches herself over the side. It's a really affecting moment. And it got really quiet as I was describing all that. Because you're a good storyteller, goddammit. That's why. But yes, that is one of the... By the way, if you haven't played Six, Six is kind of dark. Uh, it also has a lot of really good things. I recommend it to everyone. But do bear in mind... This is not a game that you are just going to PvP and shoot each other and steal a car. And this is a game that you are going to feel things and read things and understand 
culture and people and characters in a different way. And it's going to take you at least 30 hours to get through. And that's if you know what you're doing. Well, if you know what I've, you're doing, you can get through it in about seven and eight. a half to eight. Yeah. But uh, if you are just casually playing and you don't really know how to like utilize espers effectively or gear effectively, yeah, you're going to be in there for 35, 45 hours. Easy. It'll be a great ride, though. It was fun. I mean, oh, you're going to love every second of it. When I streamed it a couple of years ago, I, it, I think I played it for a few hours at a time, but I think it took quite a few weeks to get through it. It took so. you almost like four months and you were playing, yeah, about three to five hours a night, depending on the week. Well, uh, yeah. generally just on Thursdays, though. Yeah, because you're only doing it the once a week. Yep. But yeah, there may be some stuff that's a little less shocking at this point, less surprising. But that's only because Final Fantasy VI established the trope for some of these. Yes. So, I mean, you may that's... have seen the idea of it, but this is where a lot of it came from. Yeah, it's one of those moments that you have to look back and say, well, where did that terminology come from? And you go, oh, God, I played this. How did I miss that? I got to explain to a kid at work uh, where Jump the Shark came from, and they looked at me like I was completely <laughs> insane. I mean, it I was, was like, a kind of situation. Pirate it was cats. a weird situation, but it was. you have to understand, Six established a lot of the stuff we see in current Final Fantasy and in current gaming. Pyrocats in the yeah. chat's asking, uh, which is darker, 4 or 6? Because 4 sounded really dark when we talked about it. I would say 6 is probably darker. Mainly. Six starts out good and, and or six starts out bad and goes way worse. Four starts out questionably and dark gray and gets better. Like four is kind of a tale of this uh, redemption of this person. It starts in a bad place, but you see him like trying to make a difference in fighting against these things. And the result of that redemption is a is ultimately a love story. Yep, and in and six, in six the story is very Japanese in that, well, we're done telling the story now, and it's time for everyone to go home. And you're like, but everything is still crap! Are you serious? It's like, yep, good luck, everybody. I, uh, it's about, like, trying to find the strength to go off. Like, uh, one of the big things is, why do the people keep going knowing that everything that they do is going to be torn down and destroyed? And each of them trying to find their answers uh, to that question is one of the things that occupies the second half of the game. Yep. All right, we have three more songs in this disc, so let's go on to our next one. Protect the Espers. This plays during the battle of the f for the Frozen Esper, the escape in the Magitech yeah. Research Facility, and battles in the Soul Shrine. Yeah, especially like... Uh, I remember it's also the one where the initial one where you're rescuing Terra from the uh, uh, with the Moogles from the uh, uh, at the very beginning of the game. You have like Locke and the teams of two Moogles. They're moving through. They had several battles where you control multiple teams and swap between them. So that one, the Esper battle, like it's not the same as Locke's team, but it feels like it shares some of those elements. Which, given that the very first one Locke is the central character of, kind of makes some of sense. I mean, Locke's job as a treasure hunter is acquire thing. That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> so, like, it makes sense that we're going to use a little bit of that chord progression so we get that quote, that tie-in. Yelta asks, what's the best way to replace six right now? 
Ooh. Whatever way you want. Like I said, it's, yeah. it's everywhere. It's literally everywhere. Uh, I would avoid some of the more modern tablet remakes just because they redid the sprites in a way similar to what they did with 5. Depends on uh, what kind of... But... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, if you get your hands on it, I would go for either the actual cart or emulated, although Phoenix Down Radio does not uh, condone intellectual property violations, but go ahead and emulate that shit. Uh, You'll get your best uh, play through that way, I think. But, um, uh, but I, I would go with the uh, Game Boy Advance one. They went ahead and redid the translation. Woolsey's translation is a or localization is a classic. I think he gets more hate for it than he deserves. But file the Game Boy Advance one, I'd say it's a good one that will line up with a lot of modern sensibilities and convey some stuff pretty well. That said, it's also worth getting your hands on either the cartridge or emulation for the original Super Nintendo. Short version, play it however the hell you want. Long <laughs> version, the older version you can, the oldest version you can get, the better. Uh, however, I will say for the Super Nintendo version, there's actually two print runs of the cartridge, and one actually has a glitch that won't let you trigger a flag in the final dungeon. So depending on which one you end up with, you might have a bricked cartridge. Mm. I am a bigger fan of the GBA option just for that reason, but if you still have your PSP or... God forbid you still have your PS3 hooked up somewhere. PSN actually has a copy of Final Fantasy VI for like 10 bucks, and then you just have it. There's a lot of options for this one. As I said, it's I'm not so a many. Just play however the hell you want. It's fine. Reasonable ones just because of what they did to the sprites, but there's options. I want to say if you play it on Steam, you can you can change out the sprites. There's always probably, ways you to probably can now. Those were not well received. All right. <laughs> this song is probably one of the more recognizable ones, at least towards the beginning third of the game. The Decisive Battle. Why do I feel like I want Calamari? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's actually a different game, a uh, different theme. Is Doesn't he have his own? No. Oh, is no. it this? It's this. Yeah, this is the one that you for most of the battles you fight against him. For anybody who doesn't know, uh, Ultros is a purple octopus that shows up a bunch of times in Final Fantasy VI, and hence the calamari joke. Yeah, and for Final Fantasy XIV players, you'll remember this from the Dragon's Neck Coliseum trial where you fight against uh, Ultros and Python. I think it also shows up as a Sigma Skate boss theme, like a variation. It does. Yes. There's also a version of this at uh, Cafe Eorzea, which I will someday <laughs> get to go back to, where they take uh, takoyaki. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a street food. It's the little balls of fried dough with octopus and veggies and stuff inside. And there's one where they hollow out one of them. They don't put octopus in it and they stuff it with wasabi paste. <laughs> and then they dip it back in batter. They dip them all in batter one more time and put them back in the pan so they all cook, so they all look about the same. And then they throw them on your plate, cover it in mayo, cover it in takoyaki sauce, cover it in seaweed and fish flake and everything else, and then it slides out to your table, and there's a little Typhon uh, cardboard standy boy uh, sitting there, uh, just kind of chilling on the side of your plate. And... You just are supposed to eat it, and it's totally fine. And it comes with a glass of ice water, and they just slide it over to you. And you're like, okay, cool, whatever. And then you just start eating your takoyaki, and it's rich and delicious and wonderful, and there's nothing weird that's going, 
Oh God! And then in you your, eat an entire nose. tablespoon-sized ball of wasabi in one bite. Hunga! But you can breathe so well sucks. after that. Oh yeah, no, I thought uh, <laughs> I thought my buddy Strider was gonna die. Uh, oh he was God. having a really rough go. Uh, but yeah, his him, his girlfriend, and uh, Mary Matsuri from Crystal Data Center. We had an absolute blast. But he ordered it knowing full well that one of us was going to get it. So he slid it to the middle of the table. And I had one. And his girlfriend had one. And Mary had one. And he had one. And then Mary had another one. And then I had another one. And then his girlfriend had another one. And there was two left. And he was like, shit. <laughs> because he knew he now had a 50-50 chance of getting absolutely decimated. Beautiful. I slid half a beer over to him. And he just downed it. He was not okay. It was great. Good time. So that's the boss. That every time I hear the boss fight, I just imagine a little random dude just not having a good day in Akiba. It was a good time. <laughs> All right. And our final theme from the first disc of Final Fantasy VI. Oops. Comes at a very, very eye opening moment, we'll call it. The theme a is. The theme is called Metamorphosis. You can pick up those elements of Terra's theme in there. As you should. Which but you really haven't Terra... gotten yet, but... No, but this is that moment where Terra loses the ability to control her powers when she realizes, oh shit, I am an Esper. She transforms into that white and purple being that not everybody has seen yet. She starts using magic, which some of your party members have seen, but not all of your party members have seen. And magic was this weird, banned, strange, mysterious force thing. So which is why the Emperor was trying to capture it all. And then suddenly, here's somebody that you trust that you've been sleeping next to at campsites that you've been working with for the last couple of weeks, and she explodes in more powerful magic than you've ever heard about or seen in your whole life. This also plays during Kefka's raid on Thamasa and during the Cataclysm. It kind of feels like it's like it's a crisis with magic. You're not wrong. So that is uh, the you're muted. Talis, you're muted. Yeah, Talis, you're muted. Am I? Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. My computer's my computer's like almost is doing a lot of dumb stuff, so I might vanish. We're almost done, so that. don't worry about that. That yeah. is the, that is the last song of disc one. But yeah, you've got that crisis feeling to it, mixed in with Terra's uh, theme as like this kind of representative of all like Esperdom and magic power and whatnot. So it's kind of this horrific magic run amok type thing. Whether it's Terra's powers going out of control or the uh, statues of the three uh, deity, the warring triad being pushed out of alignment and magic itself being let loose and disrupting the world. <sighs> it, it, like I said, every time I'm playing these songs, I, I'm picturing my, my playthrough of Final Fantasy VI and it's like, yep, that's what I felt then. I love these. I love doing these. Yep. I hope you guys are still enjoying them as well. It's such a fun time. The chat time. seems pretty active. I think they're enjoying <laughs> themselves. Well, with people wanting to replay the games now, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, that is. We You're did. welcome, y'all. 
Wow, that was quite a robot. Yeah, I told you I was going to disappear on you. Now we're actually getting laggy. We see you talking and then we get the audio. It's beautiful. <laughs> oh, well. Um, we'll, 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 let's, we'll go ahead and finish up here. Like I said, in two weeks, we'll be doing disc two. So tune in for that. Um, but for now, we've got emails. If you guys uh, joined us uh, two weeks ago on our uh, fifth anniversary stream, uh, we told you guys we want you to email or tweet at us. You can email us podcastdefinitionradio.com or um, tweet us at phxdnradio. Uh, one of your favorite Final Fantasy memories. And we'll pick our favorites and we'll give away three different mounts to those uh, who we choose. Yeah, just from this, like, we just spent this talking about one disc of the Final Fantasy VI soundtrack, and we've already seen a lot of memories coming back. So you've got a lot to choose from here. Exactly. Uh, so this one comes, I'm going to slaughter this, from Ikasretsum. Sorry about that. Um, somebody who joined us on the last episode, so that's awesome. Uh, Cast of Phoenix on Radio. I'm fairly new to your podcast. I've been listening since around the start of your Final Fantasy Music Showcase. I also caught up on some of your back catalog. Congrats on five years, by the way. I don't really have a profound story of how Final Fantasy changed my life, but I do have a little anecdote from my childhood. The first game in the series I was introduced to was Final Fantasy VI, also known as Final Fantasy III at the time. We lived in a small rural town, and I would ride my bike a few kilometers to reach the nearest video rental store. I was able to save a little money to afford to rent a game on the occasional weekend. Then one day, I discovered a new SNES game at the store and took it home. The game was titled Final Fantasy III. For the next handful of weekends, I would rent the same cartridge and get just a little bit further. Then one day, the game had been rented by someone else. A few more weekends passed before I would get my hands on it again. When I loaded it up, there were some new save files for the first time since I started playing it. These weren't just any saves. They were endgame saves with levels and magic maxed out. Plus, all secret mm -hmm. characters unlocked. I was just amazed that anyone could be that good at a game I struggled so much on. Many years later, and now I'm one of the I'm the one championing Final Fantasy games, taking on super bosses and collecting achievements like it's child's play. And I think oh. it may just be thanks to the unknown player back in the 90s that helped inspire me to be a better gamer. Thanks, everyone, and keep up the good work. Aw, that's really sweet. I remember, like, the video stores in my town, too. I played Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy III, uh, also just by, like, renting it for the stores and seeing those... Yeah, you would, like, see those saves, and you start peeking into it. It's like, oh, my gosh, where did they even get that sword from? Where are they? <laughs> Isn't that Who crazy? Is that character? Oh, wow, there's so oh, much crap. here. Damn it, Talas, we lost him, and now our video's all messed up. He'll hopefully be back soon. Nope, we oh. good. <laughs> Probably oh, looks man, like that. Some weird stuff to the video. Okay. That's hilarious. There we go. Yeah, I, I told you it's it's weird when that stuff happens. So, uh, all right, we're we're uh, back. But yeah, no, that was a. Oh, uh, that's one of the reasons that like some of the uh, new digital stuff occasionally makes me a little sad. Just that experience of like renting something, getting a glimpse into how someone else plays. I guess you mm -hmm. can still do that through. YouTube videos or uh, like uh, Twitch streams and things like that. 
it is different now though you don't get some of those unexpected ones yeah but yeah no that's such an amazing feeling is it like getting uh gated for the first time realizing oh hey there's more to this than i thought or when you buy a used copy of pokemon and you go oh hang on i need to trade all of this shit to something (laughs) else because you just get somebody else's like full living pokedex or something (laughs) all right and we also received an email from koopo Dear Phoenix on Radio, happy anniversary and congratulations to this amazing achievement. Hope there will be many more episodes of the podcast for me to listen to. Is your giveaway still going on? I want to share my favorite Final Fantasy memory. In Final Fantasy VII, the original which I played on PlayStation, where you see the flashbacks to the reactor in Nibelheim, I loved how they managed to generate such a creepy atmosphere considering the limitation of the graphics at the time. Wishing you all the best. And yes, that yeah. was an amazing em- emotive scene that just like, whoa. The Nibelheim reactor was incredibly good. And it was one of the moments, and it was early on enough that we could really establish like, hey, seven isn't your run of the mill game. You're not going to be able to just acquire a new sword every two hours of gameplay and keep going. There's some stuff you're going to have to do. And it's not just combat. There's some things that you're going to have to overcome either puzzle wise or find these people or resolve this kind of stuff narratively before these characters can continue moving forward with killing the boss, whatever the hell that means in disc one. Hunting down Sephiroth. In disc one, kind of, but in disc two, it gets worse. And then disc three is just (laughs) the fight. Like it gets, it evolves. That boss fight evolves over the course of your narrative understanding. True. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about this uh, both today and on other ones. Just understanding, it's not just a matter of, oh, you just show the picture. That Understanding what makes something creepy. How can you do that? You don't have to depict it perfectly. And in fact, having some stuff that's not necessarily as visible, some stuff where you're more making a hint or suggestion of, something where you let the viewer's brains fill in the details. Having a really good understanding of what you can do and how people view those stories. Like, this is stuff that's being done by people who really know their craft. Good directors, good filmmakers, good game designers, good audio engineers can make or break something. It is a goddamn art. Yes. I mean, you look at, you know, classic 90s films like Imagine Jurassic Park with a score done by anyone else. (laughs) Same film. But different music. It doesn't work. John so, Williams does crazy stuff. Yeah. You have to Star have Wars. all of the pieces. And once you have all the pieces together, it's unstoppable. Yeah, if if, if John Williams wasn't in Star Wars, that, that there would wouldn't be, a be very, nine movies or anything. Yeah, wouldn't be a huge Disney property now. Yeah, crazy shit. Um, but yes, we are still taking entries, guys. Uh, there is time to continue. Uh, if you want to enter... For your chance to win either a um, SDS Fenrir, um, Fat Cat, or Red Hair Mount, um, email us or tweet at us with your favorite Final Fantasy moments at PHXDN Radio or podcast at phoenixstarradio.com. We'll read it on the air and we will be picking winners. Probably also, it's just nice to hear from you guys. That too. You know, if we have to keep giving you stuff to get you to write us, we'll do it, but. <laughs> you will purchase your love. That's how this works, right? That's what phrasing. I'm Are we still doing phrasing? Because that feels like a phrasing right there. I get what I said. 
Okay. Oh my. Anyway, I think yeah, it's eight thirty-five. And we've gone after dark. Sorry. And I think that will do it for this episode of Phoenix on Radio, guys. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like, subscribe, or follow us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. We are now on Amazon Music, so if you want, if you have uh, Amazon, you can f- uh, search for our podcast there, or whatever your That's preferred podcatcher is. Yes, actually, it's brand new. I believe it happened just this week. Huh? I didn't even know that was a thing. Neat. Um. If possible, leave us a rating or review. It helps people find our podcast and helps us grow in the community. If you really dig this show, you can consider subscribing here at twitch.tv slash phoenixdownradio and get access to a number of special uh, subscriber-only emotes and badges. Um, Or you can go out to patreon.com slash phoenixdownradio and support us like our benevolent overlord, Aurori Fenrir. Um, (laughs) I will never not find that amusing. (laughs) Um, all proceeds go towards, (laughs) she is the best. They all go towards growing the show, covering hosting costs, allow me to get cameras for those two yahoos, um, when they want to work. Well, it's more Talis' laptop, not the camera. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, we need more subscribers in order to get uh, a, a laptop for Talis. I'll say that much. Oh God! (laughs) If we someday have enough subscribers to buy me a laptop... I might have to like quit my job, like <laughs> to do everything that we need to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, just, let's just do things like that. But any kind of support, whether it's likes, retweets, emails, or um, you know, subscribing, following, being a patron. Words in the dead of night. We're mm-hmm. listening. We're always listening. I, I like that, Mama Dragon. Mama Dragon and chat. Challenge accepted. <laughs> anyway, any kind of support, it's always greatly appreciated. We love you guys. We absolutely do. Um, if you want to check out the backlog of our podcasts, because um, we're getting to be, have so many now that uh, the podcatchers aren't listing everything, you can go out to our website, phoenixstarradio.com, and get the entire uh, back catalog of all of our podcasts, starting with episode zero. Um, Are we going to have to like pull out and have like a season one block of downloads on the website soon? Uh, hmm. No, I think it'll be fine. Okay. Um, like I say, you can just go into the up in the top navigation. You can click on episodes and it'll, you may have to scroll down a ways, but it's there. Um, but if you want to email us, like I said, it's podcast Twitter at PHXDN radio or YouTube. You can find us on youtube.com slash Phoenix down radio. So who wants to start with some shout outs? I'm going to shout out a couple of people in the chat. One is Pyrocats1, who's letting me chill on her couch and has been feeding me fried cheese for most of the show, <laughs> which was rad as hell. Uh, we're doing Harumaki experiments. Spoiler alert, smoked Gouda. Good stuff. Uh, shout outs to Mama Dragon 89 who has finally, finally, finally rejoined us playing Final Fantasy XIV. Um, and she's going to be on Hyperion. So that's nice, exciting. Nice, nice. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, shout outs to, let's see, who else do we have? Shout outs to Bannon for making a bunch of gear for Mama Dragon 89. She doesn't know it yet, but it's going to be in her mailbox soon. And yeah, uh, let's see, who else did I harass Final Fantasy related? Oh, shout outs to my new coworker who has apparently been like a Red Mage main and started playing during Stormblood. Oh, nice. It's good job, Zach. You came in at a weird spot, dude, but good job. 
Get him over on Primal. I'm trying. <laughs> and where can they find you? Uh, please find me on Instagram at Marvelous Tofu. I post things about cars and food and a little bit of other stuff. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Towels Marvelous. Uh, I post every once in a great, great while, but not usually. Uh, DMs are open. Send me weird stuff about food and cars. Do it. You know you want to. Sarah. All right. So, uh, shout outs to the kittens we've been fostering, Twix and Pretzel, for curling up against me and like actually going to sleep for a little bit last night. It was so great. Aww. And like when everything kind of sucks and is stressful, having a kitten sleep on you helps a lot. Uh, shout out to Rockle Montaigne over on Excalibur, a uh, fellow lore monger who always uh, manages to point out when I've stayed up until 3 a.m carefully disregarding the fact that he has also stayed up until 3 a.m. Uh, and shout out to uh, the Crucible Discord, uh, particularly this week, Safe uh, uh, as Sephiroth, Brohamet, and Feeny, uh, really good friends who are always up for a chat or a fun game of Among Us. There was so much murder. It was great. I stabbed someone in the face and no one saw me, and then I hit an event. Good times. I'm so glad I know you're playing a video game. That's all I'm going to say, man. Woo! Speaking of which, we need to get the Fall Guys things going again. Uh, they and yes, uh, for the social medias, uh, you can usually uh, find you can follow me on Twitter at FF14Sayre. That's F-F-X-I-V-S-E-Y-R-R, -R, two R's, uh, R -R. where I will usually uh, post random pictures of things I've been cooking. Not as much library stuff lately, what with the building being closed, but... And occasional screeds about whatever happens to have captured my interest. Uh, I also keep an eye on the Phoenix Down Radio Discord. Love your discussions. I'm uh, Since we're going to be continuing to foster kittens, I'll start posting more pictures of them. Because it turns out that the library will also let you check out DSLRs. Nice. Now I, you have to go to a special training thing, and with everything closed, the public can't, so that means that uh, the librarians get longer checkout periods for the moment. May need to get... And I use pictures of kittens. It's great. Depending on the model, we may need to get you a capture card that you can use, and maybe you can do what I'm doing with mine. Uh, I might be... <laughs> I'll go over it with you afterwards. They yeah. gave me a whole bunch of equipment with it. Yeah, we'll, we'll discuss that after the show. Um... And I, of course, want to shout out those two knuckleheads, Sarah and Talas, for uh, uh, making this an, a fun episode. We were going to discuss 5.3 um, spoiler cast, but there's a lot that needs to be written out on that. And a lot, a lot of other, went on there. A lot of stuff went on, and a lot of other shows covered it very well. If you want to talk spoilers, we can maybe look at making a segment and, and, and talking about it because it was a very good story. But uh, we decided we wanted to get back into something a little bit more lighthearted and fun. So we went, we jumped back into the music for this week. So we hope you guys appreciated that. Um, shout out to our anonymous donor who donated $100 to our Extra Life during the show tonight. Thank you so much for that. The kids will greatly appreciate that. Don't um, know what that was about, but more power to you. Um, shout out to our, our friend uh, uh, Scarlet. I think it might have come from that because... Uh, um, Scarlet was posting about the, uh, the the girls of Final Fantasy X2, and then um, another sh uh, friend of the show, Kane, Kane Thorbreaker, uh, decided to shitpost and say, hey, wasn't uh, uh, Klaus supposed to sing the theme song to that game? 
And then we got into the whole thing talking about, no, we haven't hit our, our goal yet, and then... Tweeted, had uh, mentioned add extra life in there, and I don't know if maybe somebody saw it. And if that helped, I mean, hey, $100 donation for the kids, that's worth it right there. Do you think we can get him to wear the socks, Tristress? I don't know if I want that. Well, see, it's it's $1,500 to get me to sing the song, okay? I don't know if I want it. I just want to know if we can do it. Uh, $2,500. Y'all? <laughs> but you also have to provide the, 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 the cosplay. Does it have to be a good cosplay? It has to be one that fits me and, and is uh, can be worn on stream. So I'm going to need measurements for your buff and inseam. This has nothing to do with that. I just think it'd be funny to know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Dude, the, the, Mine's going to be made of duct tape and cotton. Good luck, y'all. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yalta can't actually run up here and take the measurements for you, Sarah. <laughs> Oh, damn! <laughs> teamwork, y'all. Teamwork is how we get through this problem. T teamwork makes the dream work, isn't that what they say? <laughs> problem that we didn't know we had until 35 seconds ago, but here yeah. we are. What kind of dream is this exactly? I'm pretty sure it's a for, nightmare. Anyway, for thanks for watching, y'all! Hey, I'm not done yet here. I'm, oh, still, sh I'm still shouting out. Give me a break. Um, you're the ones who started that. Um, yeah. <laughs> no uh, argument here. Shout out to everybody joining Fist us bump. live here at <laughs> twitch.tv slash Radio and listening on the podcast. We really do appreciate every each and every one of you listening. So thank you so much for that. And as we get into our sixth year of podcasting, that's crazy to say. Time uh, is weird. Time doesn't exist. So oh, yeah, that too. For my co-hosts, Sarah Timono, for Tal is Marvelous, I'm Klaus Nightbringer, wishing everybody a wonderful evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care. Phoenix Down Radio is a production of PhoenixDownRadio.com and Illusion Productions. Final Fantasy XIV and Eorzea are trademarks of Square Enix. In-game content for Phoenix Down Radio is a copyright of Square Enix. Open the music for Phoenix Down Radio is provided by Guilty Gear Rocky. Check out the Metal Chocobo theme cover and many other music videos at YouTube.com slash Guilty Gear Rocky. Closing music for this episode is provided by Guitar Wanker 90. Please check out their full version of Matoya's Cave and other rock video game covers at YouTube.com slash Guitar Wanker 90. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of Phoenix Down Radio and its hosts and do not reflect the views of Square Enix.